Welcome to Dwight in Shining Armor, the Sunken Kingdom, the behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. I'm Josh Breslow, and I play Yakopo. Yay, Yakopo! <laughs> Yakopo, Yakopo! Thank you, thank you very much. Today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 6, Lessons 1 through 4, written by Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams. Yay! <laughs> Directed by Jeffrey Hunt. Yay! Guest starring Evan Hofer. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> and Bonita Frederici. Yay! As always, we have a blanket spoiler alert. So, if you haven't watched Episode 6 yet, stop whatever you're doing. You can buy your goat milk online later and watch Lessons 1 through 4 either on BYU TV or at BYUtv.com slash Dwight. That's a good joke, that goat milk. That's a good joke. Thanks, Evan. <laughs> First, a quick recap. Baldrick is possessed by a fairy who is gathering very specific items that matter not at all to anyone for no important purpose. Dwight and Greta follow the trail of their possessed magical friend, and in order to save him, they must extract the fairy from his brain before it collects the item it needs and most likely consumes him for dinner. Little do they expect, Baldrick's possessor has a couple other fairy friends coming to help. Now that everyone's been brought up to date, let's go to our guests. We are again lucky to have with us one of the creators and showrunners of Dwight and Shining Armor, Brian Adams. It's good to be back. It's good to be back, Josh. It's great to have you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know we were doing radio voices. <laughs> and I'm very happy to say Jill McCrary, our magical friend Baldrick, is back with us again. It is fantastic to be here. Uh, that is a radio voice. And Dwight's self-appointed sensei and master Evan Hofer, a.k.a. Clodwig, is here as well. Just happy to be here. <laughs> but wait, there's more. For the first time on this podcast, coming to you via newfangled telephonic technology, we have the one, the only, Caitlin Carmichael, a.k.a. Her Royal Highness Princess Greta with us as well. I'm so glad to be included. Yay! <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, we have a lot to cover in this crazy episode, so we're just going to jump right into it. It's a beautiful new day for Dwight. He steps outside, breathes in the day, and Clodwig falls from the sky and tackles him to the ground. <laughs> I have a couple questions here. Um, Brian, after the pilot, did it become a deliberate choice for Clodwig to always come out of nowhere when he entered scenes? <laughs> you know, as we've spoken about before on this po uh, on this podcast, Clodwig was sort of a bonus. We didn't expect uh, Clodwig to keep going as long as he did. And, <laughs> and so Clodwig became just sort of our place to have fun uh, and to just try crazy things, especially because that all fits really well with Clodwig. So yes, he kind of pops up you know, out of nowhere, <laughs> which is so, it's so very Clodwig because he's a little shifty. You never know where he is. Plus, he's got ninja-like skills and he can just come out of the bush or fall from the sky wherever he is. So, yeah. Or just appear. He just pops out of nowhere. So yeah, that's that's become a runner for sure. So uh, a quick follow-up is... <laughs> Is Clodwig coming from the roof, or is he just falling out of the sky magically in that moment? <laughs> what do you think, Josh? <laughs> I think he's coming out of the sky. <laughs> I'd have I, to concur. <laughs> I actually like this guy better. Our concept was that he comes running off the roof. He's sort of lying of in wait, and he comes you know, darting off the roof and just springs on him. But actually, I like the better. He just jumps out of the sky. That's very How long Clodwig. has he been up there? <laughs> um can we have flying Clodwig in an episode too? I think we have a good idea for the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think um, what Clodwig is doing, is this how Clodwig was trained as well? I, I think... I think Clodwig kind of trained himself. Uh, you know, I definitely picture him as a uh, overly loved, overly uh, nurtured, only child. Uh, and so I, I think that this just sort of sort of happened uh, the way he was raised. 
Clearly. <laughs> Only child syndrome's a real thing. <laughs> um, so so we get into the episode proper with Baldrick going to check the mail. I like this moment because it seems like he's adapting. He knows that you go out every morning and check a mailbox, which is a new thing. What he doesn't seem to understand is that there is no little Debbie actually making honey buns. I'm sorry. Don't freak minute, out. What? What? <laughs> what? So the real question is, is this kind of a good way to have a marker of where Baldrick's at in his adapting? He gets the mailbox but doesn't understand how little Debbie works? I think so. I think at this point starting to figure out a, a few things. Uh, but I, I think that a lot of it has to do with um, delicious treats. Uh, it's like, oh, in the in the mail there there's these things where I can get the delicious treats for less called coupons. And so I think he understands what he wants to understand. He understands access to food. He understands honey buns. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Who I understand. doesn't? <laughs> um, so, uh, Caitlin, this is a question for you and Joel. Um, how did you guys figure out the physicality of the fairies? Did you work on that together and with Sloan, or did you each figure it out individually? Well, starting for me personally, since I, my character has only shifted into a fairy for really much just the ending of the episode, we got to just watch Joel be absolutely ridiculous and set this <laughs> crazy high standard for the energy level of these fairies. So Joel really, we just, he took that episode, ran with it, that was his episode for sure, and just uh, set the bar for what this crazy fairy world would be like, really. Um, Leanne actually came up to me and just said, imagine yourself as a reckless baby boy in preschool. I remember her saying those words to me for some reason, and that's what she described my character as. So we each had our own individual personalities that didn't really mold them together from what I remember and just kind of surprised each other on set. Caitlin, that is really interesting. That So you took your lead off of Joel after seeing him shoot most of the episode? Absolutely. And then I had to remember while I was watching Joel that I could not just take amusement in him jumping in the fountains and that I did need to be studying this fairy behavior. But Joel's performance was so great on that episode that it was almost distracting. I couldn't even study him. I just wanted to watch him as though I was a viewer. I wasn't even sitting in my cat. <laughs> I was like hiding up behind the monitor trying to watch Joel do all these stunts. <laughs> well, for, for me, it just kind of started with uh, the words and started reading, you know, some of the lines with this new character. And I just kind of, as I was learning the lines and going through it and reading it, just kind of kind of found this voice and then the physicality followed that as, as well. So for me, it was it was kind of like, well, uh, when we start shooting this, I'm going to show up and this is what I'm going to do. I hope everybody likes it. Nobody said to change it, so I just kind of continued down that road. Um, so we shot, if I remember correctly, somewhat in order, uh, at least like the first couple of scenes, where I think the first thing I shot in that episode was when the fairy kind of got inside me and figuring that out and starting the physicality with that. And then we, you know, moved to the sound stages where I was inside. So, so it, it, it was, it was kind of the discovery was happening on on camera a little bit with the physicality and him, you know, feeling the there and discovering his hands and you know his finger going up his nose and and that was one of uh, uh, the moments where I believe that was Jeff. Hunt's suggestion. I think so, yeah. Said that there. But then tasting it was my own. Oh, oh and well, then, hey, Baldrick got to taste yeah. everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's salty. Oh, that's exactly. true. It's that not was, Baldrick, of course. Yes. That was so genius. And so much of that physicality. I mean, this was always one of our favorite scripts. Leanne and I had really, like, a genuinely fun time, you know, developing and writing this script. And it was always one of our, our favorites. But then seeing these guys bring it to life, it was 
even so much better. And, and little moments like that, when you when you put your you know salty finger from your nose into your mouth, I was like, this is like next level stuff. Is yeah. genius. It's both hilarious and gross, and <laughs> and thirdly appropriate for what's happening. <laughs> it really works. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I do have a question about that because you guys take mythologies and make them your own. Was it in fairy lore that they like sugar and hate salt, or is that an invention of yours and Leanne's? A little of both, actually. When when we were first developing this, I I, I was really diving deep into fairy lore, and and there's there's a whole thing about uh, fairies sort of fighting against home and hearth, and and sort of like wholesome things like bread, and and I think in the original draft of this, it was it was bread, and and more like wholesome stuff that the fairies reacted against. But as we went down, that just got way too complicated. It, so we, we had to like just draw a clear line, um, and the the salt and sugar. It, it is sort of rooted in, in fairy lore, but also just like was a very clear bright line. Like this is good, this is bad, this is simple. Let's go with it. Yeah, the salt is really clear. I do like though that originally fairies were basically kosher for Passover. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's pretty fantastic. Um, okay, so so when Joel dumps uh, the Cheerios all over his face and all over the floor, my first thought was, oh, the poor set deck, poor props. <laughs> um, and then it happens with the bird feeders and again with the candy. Was this episode written for the purpose of driving props and set deck completely insane? We were angry at them, and so we thought this will this will get back at them. <laughs> no, I mean the, our 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 props, and we've talked so much about you know Hunter and Jerrica, uh, our props department. They've done such a great job, and our our, our set decorators, all of them, uh, they've they've did an amazing job. But I also have to give props no pun intended, mm-hmm. to Joel here because I, I think two of those three things he did in one take. I, I know that all of the bird feeder, uh, the chugging of the bird feeder, that was one take. Oh, and all of that you, entire man. mess. So they didn't have to reset that. And I, if I'm not mistaken, the Cheerios, uh, not Cheerios, but by the way, also that was originally oh, going yeah. to be Captain Crunch. I wanted it so bad, but we couldn't <sighs> get it. So we had to go with nondescript Cheerios. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, I think, only two takes, if memory serves. I, I think, yeah, we didn't do a lot of those. So I we didn't have two takes. I, yeah. We didn't have have a lot of, a lot of resets and I know, and the candy in the uh, in the grocery store also was was one take and, and it was one long take of Joel just throwing candy everywhere oh man <laughs> and, and so so I, I think it, the props department absolutely did a great job but Joel really did him a favor by just delivering solid solid one take uh, one take Charlie's so one take wonder Joel McCreary <laughs> that is no surprise to me well, you know, throwing that candy up and, and catching it, I didn't get that much in my mouth. It was just kind of throwing it up in the air. <laughs> so that actually wasn't too bad. Although when I was shoving it in my mouth, it was by the end of that, it was just like, I really don't want any more candy or sugar <laughs> Pretty for gross. a while. What about the Winnie the Pooh moment when you just start digging into the jelly jar with your with your <laughs> oh. paw? Was that? Hey, Joel, have you eaten strawberry jelly since then? <laughs> just recently, it's been it's been several months since I've had any. But yeah, just recently over the uh, when uh, I guess it was Easter, uh, I, I had some. I was like, I think this is the first. Um, uh, but it was actually raspberry jam on the set. So that was what I hadn't had for a while. So I did have that recently. Let's listen to a clip. If not the pet store, then where? Where? Oh, wishing well. I, I, I think there's one at the mall. I mean, it's more of a, more of a fountain than a, than a well, actually. The mall has a wishing well in the form of a fountain. <laughs> that is so uninteresting and not important. Hey, Greta, can you come in here for a sec? Another mortal thing I need, but not as a matter of life and death, is the milk of a goat. Dost thou have a 
goat, mortal boy. A goat? What's amiss? You tell me. I just saw him eat half a jar of jam. You know how many grams of sugar are... are... Sugar? Is this thy goat? When Greta comes in, it looks like her worst nightmare has come true, and her reaction is instantaneous upon hearing the word sugar. Um, I think that Greta's past history with her dad being devoured by fairies gives her an extra keen sense of uh, spying any fairies or anything from the fairy realm, in fact. So she's much more adept to picking up the cues that Baldrick has been possessed by a fairy for sure. And that's, I think, what, while Dwight sees it as a no big deal and fairies must be like Tinkerbell and very harmless, it gives Greta the polar opposite sense that this is, in fact, really dangerous. But the element of surprise in that scene, I will tell you, was 100% real from me because that was the first scene that I had ever seen Joel do in that episode as the fairy. <laughs> and I was just, I was just a l- little bit freaked out because Joel just comes in and is devouring jam and Cheerios <laughs> and spewing water in my face. Bright and early on a Monday morning and I did not know how to react to that, but it gave a, gave me a lot to play off of. But so I think that that's an interesting sense of seeing Dwight and Greta in this episode and kind of their different perspectives because Greta can be a little bit more closed off. So obviously she doesn't share as much of these, um, the senses that she has that this is really dangerous in fact. So we see that kind of come to the surface later in the episode when we're pouring the salt on Baldrick. Yeah, I love that it comes out not in a vulnerable way here, but in her immediately thinking to pour the salt in the water. Like it, it feels like Greta's gone to sleep thinking, if I'm ever confronted by a fairy, this is how I'm going to handle it. And she does it on the spot. It, it was. It was like a Jason Bourne moment. Like yeah. She did not miss a, a beat. She's like, I got the salt. I'm ready. <laughs> um, so for a moment here, uh, Joel, you, you pretend to be a goat. Um, as we've mentioned, you also down a box of not Cheerios. You drink many bottles of nectar. You stuff an ice cream cone in your mouth. You eat buckets of candy. Uh, clearly, Brian and Leanne know they can script you to do anything, and you'll do it. Uh, how does it feel to be their comedy puppet? I, I have learned now I should have drawn the line somewhere. I should have said no at some point. It's too late now. So they, they were like, yeah, they're still trying to find that line is what I'm worried is they're writing new episodes. Huh, will he do this? Let's find out. Um, no, I'm, I'm happy to, it's, it's fun to get to do this kind of stuff. You know, you know, most of the time, um, you know, you come in, you don't get to have that much fun and do these things. It's like, this is your one chance to do something like that. So it's like, just go for it. Just have fun. Yeah. You know, it's kind of my attitude. It really is a gift. It, it really is. And we, we uh, when we come up with crazy ideas, and, and there's been a lot of them in this episode and beyond, we, we always wonder, is he going to do it? But, you know, thankfully, he's such a great sport. And not only that, he just, you know, nails the performance every time and, and gets, you know, the comedy dream, makes our comedy dreams come true. Well, you make my comedy dreams come true. <laughs> I mean, that actually is true. It's like to get the chance to do these kind of things and for them to be forever burned onto digital form. Digital celluloid. Whatever it is. Exactly. Now, one of the uh, things that you mentioned was the ice cream cone. Now, oh, that was yeah. not in the script. I was just supposed to walk past this kid and grab the ice cream cone and walk off with it. Uh, but I was like, you know, in the moment grab it and go, I would take a bite of it. So I did. And turned out it was not ice cream. That I oh, was no. Eating. What was it? It was a mixture of cornstarch and hair conditioner. <laughs> 
And didn't it have like toothpicks in it to hold it in place? It was a prop. Like they just, it was supposed to look good, not taste oh, good. I don't, I, well, I didn't get any of the toothpicks. Oh, you didn't? Thank heavens. Oh, because yeah. they told awful. me afterward. And if, if actually, if you, you watch Joel do it, you can, it's just such a great moment. And he throws it right in his mouth. And he's, he doesn't really break character, but I can almost see in his eyes, like, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's terrible. So, last question for this opening sequence with Fairy Baldrick and Dwight and Greta. You do a spit take right at the camera. How does that work? I truly don't know. Well, as a trained actor, I can do a spit take that stops in midair and falls to the ground before he hits the lens. It's a spinning mechanism that they put over the lens, uh, and it, it goes when you when you spin it, uh, and it sort of sprays the water away. Uh, oh, I, I don't remember what it's called right now. Actually, I, I was just That's right, uh, and it and it and it's some sort of like hocus pocusy, you know, movie magic thing that is ironically specifically for this sort of stuff when liquid comes towards the camera and. And that's the thing I'm always amazed at, that there's a specific tool for almost everything you need. And, and there's, if you're spitting water at the camera, there's a specific thing that spins and it kind of uh, pushes the water away from the lens. And we had it on for, you know, for like half an hour. And I, and I assume that's because if it was plexiglass, you would see the water hitting the plexiglass. Correct. And this way it just looks like it's flying in every direction. Yeah, exactly. Guys, it's movie magic smoke and mirrors, right? That's, that's right. the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. Okay, okay. Um, so speaking of... Um, Special effects shots. How did you do the Joel running close-ups? Is that on green screen? Are you on a trolley? What what's what's going on with those shots? Well, I can actually run that fast, <laughs> and so they just took. We the have to actually to me. slow the camera down a little bit because he just goes so quickly. <laughs> no, th this again was another genius. Um, idea who's who's exactly idea so we, was it? we had uh, it, it was a combination with the uh, director jeff hunt and the dp uh, banked and so there were a few different ways uh, that we did it obviously part of it is his stunt double chest you know running mm -hmm. in the baldrick uh, wardrobe and he you know chester can really move also we put uh, we put joel on a, uh, a golf cart um and so some of the some of the tight shots where where joel you can see joel's face and his arms are really pumping he's sitting on a golf cart you know cruising along like That's that uh, and so so that was that was good uh, yeah. and I it was it was uh, they had hooked up some sort of rig and so I was sitting sort of on the back of it so there's room for the camera and you know so my butt's kind of hanging off the back <laughs> and I really thought this cart is gonna flip over <laughs> but uh, fortunately we got a couple of people on the front of the cart that kind of kept it in balance so and I was just like how is this gonna work is this gonna work and then the, on the monitor they said it looks great and so I was like okay yeah. so I didn't see it till we actually saw the uh, saw, saw the episode yeah it, and it really works in that combination because you have that tracking shot behind chester in yeah, the mall mm -hmm. when he's just booking, just booking it and that combined with those close-ups yeah they yeah, work seamlessly yeah. it was fun to do because i got to just sit there and kind of look like a crump your arms and yeah. just move my <laughs> arms back and forth let's talk about that stunt um where chester jumped into the water i imagine it's you running for it and then you cut to chester jumping but that had to be you lying in the water to come up out of it over and over, correct? That is correct. I was... Really, it, really warm water, right? Really not warm water at all. <laughs> it was ice cold. It really? It was as if someone had taken it to the point of freezing and then stopped it there. <laughs> and so it, it was as cold as humanly possible. 33 degrees. Possible. Exactly. It was at 33 <laughs> degrees. It was so cold. Oh. Um, and uh, so it, that was one of those... Um, 
as I'm getting in, the stunt guy who had already jumped in, Chester, uh, said, now it is a little cold. And as as my foot's going in, it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so then to the director, I was like going, uh, we need to get this quickly because once I'm in, I'm not staying in. The, the other thing that uh, Chester told me about that fountain, he said, now um, – because the action was okay, you'll you'll dunk underwater and then you come up with the coins and then you climb out of the fountain. You go cross over, get the kids ice cream cone, and um, duh, Chester Chester, <laughs> Chester was like, I, I don't think you're going to be able to get out of here. I was like, what oh. do you mean? He said, I couldn't get out on my own because of all the water and the boots and the costume. Oh. It weighed so much that he said, there's no way you're going to be able to get out of here. But it was at this point, I, I was in the fountain and it was cold. It was like, let's just roll. I'm going to try. And so we did it. And it was getting that first. That's why I get out of the fountain the way I do, because it was the only way I could get out was to hoist myself up and kind of roll a leg up and then roll the other leg over. It was, and Chester was like, I can't believe you're able to do that. And I said, neither can I. Wow. But it was pure adrenaline because he was like, I, I had to have somebody come help me get out. Wow. I, like, I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah. That's super cool. So yeah. Dwight is attacked for the second time by Claudwig. Peril lurks around every corner is the lesson this time. Is Claudwig skilled at all weaponry? And also, is this what playdates were like for Claudwig as a child? Well, I'd assume playdates for Claudwig were probably few and far between. <laughs> so I, I would say he's, he's a master, in my opinion, and certainly his opinion, of all weapons, every fighting tactic, everything. He is a mastermind. But Absolutely. yes, I'd say those uh, playdates were few and far between. So this is probably what he imagined the playdates would have been like if they existed. So Claudwig's living out all his great friendship guy club fantasies right now. With his guy club brother. There you go. <laughs> I, I think that's it for sure. That this is this is Claudwig's way of expressing gratitude and expressing love. It's like you helped me, now I'm gonna help you. I'm on it. I got you covered. Uh, yeah, and he is preparing Dwight for whatever might be coming down the road. Absolutely. He feels Which is like most likely more Claudwig. <laughs> 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 um, so right before Dwight gets taken down by Claudwig for the second time. We do a quick cut to a Nana scene, and mm -hmm. she helps give the information of where Baldrick is. We were actually looking for opportunities to give more Nana, uh, and and that was that was one of the first times I actually saw Bonita in action. What she? I think that was the first time yeah, she filmed, right? I, I think you're right. It, it was, and and in fact. Um, she kind of like Claudwig just kind of comes and goes and pops in and out. <laughs> and actually, I, I I walked onto the set and there she was doing that magic with with the the yoga. And I think I haven't actually I hadn't actually met her in person yet. And I was like, oh man, we did something great here. I mean, she was just so incredible with that yoga ball. And uh, and so we were the, to answer your question, we're always looking for ways that we can just you know. Give give everyone more Nana. I mean, she she already was quickly a fan favorite, and we anticipated that. Uh, so we wanted to check in with Nana and give her a chance to be included in the story. Yeah, her physical comedy on that yoga ball it just gets better and better. You think it's yeah. just gonna be oh, it's tough to carry, then dribbling it a little, then falling all yeah. over it. She bouncing on it, staying on the phone it. the whole time. Yeah, it's it's a great scene. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, and a, a little add on to that, I think that that was the first scene that Bonita filmed, and that's what I think told over everyone that she was the perfect Nana. But I remember feeling so bad because she, I think they filmed that scene early before the rest of us came into set, so we got to sleep in for a little bit. She filmed her scene and then headed back to LA because that's all she had to do for the episode, and this was one of the first ones we ever filmed. She actually did that scene, her first appearance in the show, and I don't think any of us had gotten to meet her yet. So she came, she filmed. 
without getting to see any of us, so had no chemistry with any of the other actors and still just fit into the episode so seamlessly. It was kind of a miracle, I think. Yeah, Yeah. and that speaks to the skill of Brian and Leanne and Jeff because without having met the rest of the cast, she is totally right on for what's going on. You're right, and great memory. I, I, I remembered it was one of the first, but you're right, it was actually the first time, and, and I ended up meeting her after she had done that incredible performance. So, Nana tells the kids where they need to go. We head to the supermarket again. Um, Brian, how did you find that supermarket location? What was that like? That was not easy, actually. We, we wrote the supermarket scene, uh, not realizing how hard it was going to be to get a supermarket. And we actually almost had to change it uh, because none of the supermarket chains, you know, like Vons or Albertsons, or they're like, forget about it, not for any price, you're not, you're not shooting here. We got really lucky that that was uh, in Salt Lake City. I think it's called Dan's Groceries. And they're a privately owned. It's not a chain. It's just one, one family owns it. And they're like, sure, you know, we'll, you know, we'll take your money. We'll let you shoot here. Uh, but, but that was, we got really lucky because, you know, those sort of mom and pop uh, grocery stores aren't, aren't really that common anymore. And any sort of chain, you're almost, uh, you know, out of luck. Right. So, you're asking to rent their space during their yeah work day. Yeah, exactly. And, and like we've talked about in other episodes, uh, getting all the clearances for all the different logos that are in a, a supermarket is also really difficult. And that, you know, they were super nice and accommodating. We were there the whole day and we shot around the back. So, I mean, they were, we, we got really lucky with, and with they that. were, they were still open. They stayed we were, open. Yeah, yeah. There were customers coming in <laughs> and we walking down the aisle and confront a wizard <laughs> just, <laughs> who was possessed by a fairy and just the looks and then you know quite often be like, so what's going on here yeah just, just another day at the grocery yeah. store ma'am yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean i work here <laughs> I, this is my place i'm dan <laughs> so shortly after this um dwight and greta become possessed as well and you mentioned earlier you were you were doing it as you said a small boy child. Was that was that how you decided to play it? That 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 was Leanne's words to me. That was her words of inspiration. <laughs> so what was it like shooting that scene? Oh, that was in the that was in the uh, the back of Benby's grocery. That's right, where Joel was doused in salt, which was <laughs> done for him. Which, um, well, 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 real quick, I will tell you that it was a windy day, and the when they were pouring the salt on me, the wind was blowing it directly up my nose. So I had a <laughs> snoz of sodium. <laughs> yeah, and I, we were. Um, um, we were kind of moving at a quick pace at the end of that day, trying to get uh, all of the scenes done and to get all the salt off of Joel. So for Sloan and I, that was the first thing that we did as fairy. So we just kind of had to pick these instincts and just really be confident in them, not necessarily thinking too much about how we were sounding or looking and just really uh, owning it. And then that's what we uh, stuck with for the rest of the episode and just tried to keep that continuity the same as possible. Yeah, and they did a great job, I think, of not imitating exactly what I was doing, but keeping it in the same world uh, as a, a similar character, but they each were very distinct personalities, which, which you know, hats off to them for, for doing such a great job, I think, with that. Let's listen to another clip. You fail a third time. Lesson one, remember? Release us, mortal! Danger is everywhere, as I have demonstrated. We must leave these mortal bodies! Lesson two. Name it, Sir Dwight. Ah, box 
on the inner and entrails. Peril lurks in every corner. Have you forgotten so soon? I will devour the untoasted with mint jelly. Now for lesson three. Jeopardy is ever present. Those all mean the same thing. So did the big idea for Claudewig to be teaching Dwight lessons on self-defense come from the need to have someone save them at the end? Or was that happy coincidence that it was going to work out perfectly that way? That actually was happy coincidence. The The original thought was, was Claudewig was going to lock Dwight in his in his bedroom. And that was going to be lesson lesson one. And he was going to board the windows and all this stuff. And we had this great is, uh, escape scene that we actually developed you know, pretty, you know, pretty well that Claudewig had just trapped Dwight. But then uh, it just became one, it, it started to become overwhelming. And two, <laughs> the, what really killed that idea is that we have never seen Dwight's bedroom. We've never seen inside Dwight's bedroom. Oh. And so we, as we started to talk to our production designer about, you know, what does Dwight's bedroom look like? First of all, that's kind of a special space and we wanted to get it right and we didn't have the time or the resources to do that. And second, um, that became overwhelming for the episodes and we just had him start attacking, uh, you know, on the streets. And and that became a lot more fun, but th- that it evolved a lot, and then and then we merged that guy club idea with the fairies idea, which were originally kind of two uh, two separate ideas, and, and then it did work out, you know, very nicely that we could have Claudewig come in, you know, with with the la- last lesson or the penultimate lesson to uh, you know to also save the day. Um, Caitlin, when you and Joel are staring into the fairy void that is very magical and rainbow colored. Were you two just staring at a patch of grass, a patch of green screen? What did that look like to you on the day? On the day, we did a special insert shot with it uh, as a green screen. But for most of the day, we were just looking at dirt and thinking about the taste of how our, well, it was supposed to be goat cheese, but it was really the hot tofu, like I said, <laughs> heated up nicely in the sun with our chest hairs on top. Oh, we were God. thinking about the delicious taste of that. Um possibly seeing a little bit of rainbows ourselves, but <laughs> um, <laughs> having to make believe in our minds. And I think that we were we were all losing it a little bit that day. So we were just having a lot of fun, possibly a little too much. As, as I recall, we were staring at uh, a dirt patch uh, that was very rocky that then when we fall down, we're also laying on top of. So I just remember <laughs> the ground being very rocky and it's like laying in one position, supposed to be passed out. And it's like, there is a rock in my kidney <laughs> right now. And I can't move for about 20 minutes. Yeah, you must have been bruised up like a, a football player on Monday morning after that. Episode. I was, I was. Uh, yeah, this whole episode beat me up pretty good. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, uh, but... You know, it, it's funny. So that's what I can. Anything about, for comedy. That's why we love you, Joel. Right. What, what do I say, Caitlin? Pain is temporary, but laughter is forever. Oh, right. nice work, guys. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I feel like you can create some deep seated psychological yeah. issues with that theory. <laughs> it's really a sickness, <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> so, Evan, at the end of the episode, Claudewig saves the day, be it at inadvertently. Um, he succeeds at doing what he most loves to do. Why doesn't he seem to care that much? It's how cool guys don't turn around and look at explosions. Uh, this is every day, bro. He's been ready for this moment. He's been prepping for this moment. He saves the day, and he's like, 
yeah, just going to puff my chest up and uh, smolder off into the distance. <laughs> so the truth is, like, when he goes to sleep at night, he's thinking about it. He's like, I totally beat those fairies. But in person, he's <laughs> oh, like. Oh, wow, I got the fairies. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. That I believe. That sounds fairies, right. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up for season one, episode six of Dwight and Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the behind the scenes podcast about everything Dwight. Thank you, Brian, Joel, and Evan, and Caitlin over the phone. <laughs> Yay! Yay, Caitlin. You can follow Joel on Instagram at McCrary Joel. You can follow Evan at Evan Hofer. You can follow Caitlin at ReallyCaitlinXOX. You can follow Brian at Brian underscore J underscore Adams. And you can follow me at the Josh Breslow. And if you have any questions that are as yet unanswered about lessons one through four, please tweet your questions or send video questions to at Dwight and Armor, and we'll tackle them a little bit down the line. Tune in again next week for Season 1, Episode 7, Winnie. I'm Josh Breslow. Thanks for listening. Go on an adventure today. It might change your life.